Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. You're listening to Sunday Skate. At night. With Pete Blackburn is back from CBS Sports. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Sunday Skate on Sports Radio WEEI. Wow. We know Gloria is a Bruins song. Sure is. I finally have the scoop on this. DJ Bean came out of hiding and showed up at TD Garden, and I know what the heck this is all about now. We did that. We... we "Quote unquote," stole Gloria to uh, to tick off St. Louis Blues fans, but it's ended up turning into us ticking off Laura Brannigan's Twitter account and the person running the account because that person is absolutely furious. It's great. <laughs> All right, so before you start to wonder what the heck's going on here, this isn't Sunday morning. It's actually a bigger challenge for us. You know, it's one thing to get up at the crack of dawn and do Sunday skate. It's another to be up all day working and then come in here at ten o'clock. But you know, when things get things get down they have to call in the a team and here oh, yeah. we are i guess anytime the, they have a scrimmage we gotta come in <laughs> i think that makes me hannibal and you can be ba do you know what that means absolutely not all right well pete no blackburn idea. from cbs sports is here he's too young to know what the a team is maybe they'll re oh they did reboot it as a movie too so you really should know yeah they rebooted that like recently yeah last exactly couple of years. you should know what that is but you should really see the original because that's what it, the, the, any, you should always see the original anything and I'm Matt Kalman from EEI.com and Sunday Skate. And it was nice that we had Ken Laird on the open because he seems to have deserted us again. But I assume he's getting asleep because he has to be one of six people on the Mutton Callahan show in about 12 hours, 10 hours, whatever it is. Is he back in the country at least? I think he is back in the country. Let him back Good in. For him. He went to Canada for an Indian wedding. And I think they might have served Chinese food there. Interesting. So... But this is Sunday Skate, so we should talk some hockey, I guess. And yes, I was at the scrimmage. I'm a veteran hockey writer, so I know when you go to a scrimmage, you make sure to have other sources of amusement. So when I had an empty seat next to me and I saw Jack Edwards, I said, Jack, sit right here, because that guy will amuse you for an hour. CBS asked me to go to the scrimmage, and uh, and I politely declined, no interest. <laughs> and when I saw that there was no numbers being worn at the scrimmage, I was that was the happiest that I've ever been in my life. That was a challenge. Even sitting next to Jack, we were having some tough times identifying the players because he had some of the black aces out there, and uh, we knew left shots and right shots. And that was about it. How'd it look? How was the energy level? The energy in the crowd was excellent. I mean, they did the wave, which I hate. They started to do that, but whatever. They are, they paid 10 bucks to go see a glorified practice so they can do what they want. And uh, on the ice, it was, a, it was a practice, maybe a little higher pace. Uh, quote of the night, Tuka Rask, did you get what you wanted out of this? I didn't want to get anything out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That pretty much sums it up, and that is why your Boston Bruins are in the Stanley Cup final because the guy with the 948 save percentage doesn't care. It, it really he looks like doesn't. he doesn't care, and it's it's you know the most impressive thing I think about this entire run is that Tuca looks completely ambivalent about about his uh, about just going out there and playing, and right. he's playing the best hockey he's ever played. Can, in can his you life. believe there are people maybe on this station, maybe on Brand X, who used to say, "Oh, this guy poops his pants," and what this guy doesn't do anything, nothing bothers him. It's, well, 
He, he he might have actually. That's right. When he had those bad chicken wings a few the, years the ago. The bad chicken wings, we won't say where they were from because I've heard that place is actually an excellent place, but if he had the bad chicken wings one time, you know, what can you do? That team was not going anywhere anyway if they made the playoffs. So I don't know how. Maybe the only person that should be really upset is that Jacobs didn't get the uh, the first-round money there. But this is Sunday Skate Thursday night edition. You can call us, 617-779-7937. I'm pretty sure it's Thursday. Lost track of days a couple of rounds sure ago. Is. The uh, and we are on day seven of ten without a hockey game, which is pretty amazing for the National Hockey League to uh, give us a bye week in May. And uh, lots well, last of- <laughs> time we last time we logged off, we didn't know. That's right. We didn't know who we were playing. Now that we know. Correct. So, what's your first impressions of the St. Louis Blues? Uh I I was actually hoping for the Sharks. You know, when that series started, when the Western Conference final started, I was I was rooting for the Blues. I thought the Sharks were quite possibly a little more dangerous up front and they scared me a, a bit more. But as that series went on, uh, you know, I wanted the Sharks because one they were banged up and two they looked pretty bad and Martin Jones started looking like Martin Jones again. So, uh I think it's going to be a tough matchup against the Blues. I think you know, my pal Deej, uh, DJ Bean put it pretty well. It's going to look like the 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 Columbus Blue Jackets series, mm-hmm. but the Blues are a lot better than the Blue right. Jackets. Right, definitely. There's definitely um, so many things that are better about it. I think even though we, we went into that Columbus series thinking about how great Bobrovsky was, I mean, this kid Biddington, you talk about Tuka not having a pulse. This kid doesn't have one either, I don't think. It's, See, I'm not I'm not scared of Jordan Biddington. I'm really not. I'm not scared of him. He's just a really good He's just really he's, good. He's been really solid. He. It, I didn't think that he was tested all that much in the second right. half of that series against yeah. the Sharks. They were really great defensively in front of him. Um, but he's a guy that you can you can get to if you if you get an early one. He he's looked pretty somewhat shaky. Yeah. I'd say he's he's good but not great. Yeah, I mean when I broke it down with Ken Laird earlier this week, we talked about and I talked about the weight of this St. Louis team. And when you know I've been harping on this, you know these little left D guys. Krug and Grizzlick since the beginning of the show in January, and I've been proven wrong at every turn. Those two guys have played great. They're unsung heroes of this postseason for sure. Tori Krug especially. I mean, how rich is this guy going to be in right. next, one summer from now? But this is going to be the ultimate test for them. I th- like you said, it is Columbus only better, and it's Columbus only heavier. Um, from the second, That second and third line is a lot of bulk. The fourth line as well. They've been contributing offensively their fourth line. That's maybe the only fourth line we've seen in these playoffs that can match the Bruins' fourth line for offensive contribution in addition to just doing fourth line grinding type of things. And in some ways, you know, I I saw one article talk about this is like looking in a mirror for the Bruins, and there are some ways. But I think the Bruins do have more speed, and they have – I know the Bruins have more speed and probably more skill, and that's why when it comes down to it, they should should win the series. I think they're better – on the front end, they're they're better in a lot of areas, uh, but they there are similarities. They have way more firepower up front. Uh, the only t- top six forward that really scares me for the Blues is Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a tough matchup. Would you be willing to say that that this is the best team that they've played this yeah, postseason? Definitely the best so? team they've played. I think they're better than Toronto just because they've shown. What I thought Toronto lacked all along is just the grit of, and I don't mean grit just physicality as a team. I mean like just the gumption. I mean we saw resilience. It. They, There's a lot of resi- resilience. resilience. There you go. That's what it's. I mean when you're last in the National Hockey League overall standings on January second, and now you're in the Stanley Cup final, you've gone through some stuff, and never more, never more the case than the hand pass, the hand pass right. that blew them. Some teams would have just, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, we know, would have just folded up and gone home there. The slightest bit of resistance, adversity for that team sent them home in four straight. 
And this team, led by the coach, and we've heard it tons of times now. I'm sure you've seen it. You know, the guy just told him to turn the page. It was. I know you're going to love this one, but it's Claude Julian esque. You know, anytime the, and and Bruce Cassidy too. They've both. Ha- that's the Bruins have been blessed with two coaches who know how to get teams past nonsense and little things that 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 get to them. And you know, I mean, obviously 2011, there was tons of adversity there too, and Claude got them to turn the page. And we've seen Bruce Cassidy now do it over and over in, the, in this season, and that's that's huge. And obviously, the their leadership group is just as strong as the Bruins if they can do those things. Right, and I mean, we talked about Bennington. He's a he's a really good bounce back goalie. He'll have he'll have a bad game, but the the next time out, he always plays great. And I think that he's maybe lost once, mm-hmm. maybe once back to back. Right. So you know this is a team that has been resilient all year long, and uh, the hand pass thing was it was a a test for them. Right. I said it at the moment. I was like, this is either going to kill them, and they're done in the series, or it's going to be the chip on their shoulder that they needed to to get it done. Right. And, and you watch and you watch the way they reacted to that. Right. You don't see that in a hockey game too often when a game ends. Guys slamming their sticks, guys chasing the ref off the ice. It kind of looked like wrestling for a second there. You know, chasing the ref into the dressing room and. That's the biggest point is because obviously when you're, when you're playing every other day in the, in the Western Conference Finals, you don't have a lot of time to regroup. So you let out all that emotion and that anger, and you know, maybe you're spent after you've played a long hockey game like that. And to, I, that, that's the ultimate test of your resilience for sure. I sort of, I sort of compare it to uh, the way that the Golden Knights handled the, the Game 7 major penalty. And obviously, there's really no chance to bounce back after, after you lose in a Game 7 and you kind of get screwed like that. But... You know, they they didn't put up much of a fight on the ice, and then after the fact, you got guys like like Jonathan Marchessault so, who was, right. just went straight to the to the media and was complaining. So, uh, you know, you, you <laughs> right. gotta you gotta show a little little toughness. I mean, toughness. yeah, and, and you know, to, not to harp too much on the Western Conference Finals, we obviously want to look at the Bruins Blues matchup. But I mean, Pete DeBoer, even I mean, this guy got so many breaks in those playoffs. Right. The the call you're talking about against Vegas, the Colorado off, you know, too many or too many men penalty or the offside penalty, and then the hand pass, and he's whining about you know officiating and 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 it's and not only you know you got a break, so just say you got a break, and he refused to even say that when he on the hand pass play, and that really annoyed me, and I think the, maybe that let his team down a little bit too, because maybe the, you, if you accept your fate, maybe you're able to handle things more realistically. I'll tell you, Sharks fans are turning on that guy. They should. I mean, that was not his best performance. I mean, clearly he got. To the end there, he's got a team that basically is a glorified AHL team without Carlson, Pavelski, and, and Hurdle, and putting guys in that had never played in the playoffs and things like that. And if they just the fact that that game was one one, it was a victory for them because how could they could even hang with the Blues for for that long of a of period was tough. But he really had a rough series. Go, going back to the Carlson thing, you know what? You take the Eric Carlson thing. You go back farther. You can go back to when the Sharks played here and he was on one leg and Marshan undressed him. Yeah, and. And he left him in that game even then. And then you're complaining you didn't have a healthy Eric Carlson. Well, why didn't you rest the guy in those meaningless games and make sure he was up to up to strength? Right. And, you know, that that makes me glad that, that the Bruins have this rest um, and that they they don't have a particularly banged up team, at least publicly, at least that we know of, because this Blues team is is plays very heavy, uh, and they clearly targeted Eric Carlson in that series. They wanted to go after him. They wanted to, to bang bodies with him and... and you know, clearly they they approached it with a war of attrition mentality, and they won. Yeah, he got hurt, and they they forced the, him and and several other guys out of the lineup by the end of that series. So, um, it it would concern me if the Bruins had guys who were battling health issues and going up against this Blues team. Well, 
why don't you call and tell us what you think? You know, do you think the Bruins uh, are going to handle the Blues easily? Do you think Chara should play? I know that's been a topic of conversation here. I think I think they're still talking Bates Battaglia in the mornings. Mutt loves that guy. I think Mutt's, Mutt's Bates Battaglia is number one fan. But you can call us, 617-779-7937. It's a special Thursday edition of Sunday Skate. We're getting closer and closer to taking over the midday show. We're eight hours away from Del Arnold now. We're coming for you, Dale. We're here. I know he's kind of scared, but he's, you know. But uh, we'll be, before you know it, Keith and... Dale's definitely asleep right now. He's Dale, not listening to this. Dale, well, I'm sure someone will play it for him. And, uh, you know, before you know it, Dale and Keith will be Calman and Blackburn, and the rest will be history. But right now, we'll keep talking some Bruins here. And uh, I think the one thing I did take out of tonight also was that they were kind of playing a little harder because Marshan did get a little banged up, and he was able to come through it. He shook his hand, and there was a little bit of a scare. So. Yeah, I, I saw those those tweets. Yeah. That was about the point where I was about to throw my phone in the trash <laughs> and just be like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. If you if you get Brad Marchand hurt in a practice scrimmage, and I know guys get hurt in practice right. all the time anyway, but if you hold that scrimmage and Brad Marchand gets hurt, this city would have burned. Well, that's just it. It's like this city should know the lesson. I mean, I don't want to be a boring old man here. I don't want to sound like Steve Buckley, but 1946... Hey. Ted Williams got hit on the elbow in a scrimmage leading up to the 1946 World Series. They brought in a team of all-stars to keep the Red Sox sharp before the World Series. And then he batted like 113 in the in the World Series. So this city it's especially should understand the problems with a scrimmage. But they survived, it seems. David Krejci was the smart one. He showed up sick today. Good thing. Hopefully he got it from his kids. You know, probably was rolling around with his kids. Maybe drank out of the same cup a few times to make sure... He didn't have to do this one because the best part, actually, you know, the funny thing, too, is if you think about it, even if someone got hurt tonight, there's still time to recover. It's true. We still have four more days, three more days off and four more days until there's another hockey game here. Well, it's ridiculous that, that you don't get, what do they get? What was the biggest break in the first three rounds? Two days? Three days? Two yeah, days? Yeah, exactly. And you, you don't get any break in, in those few rounds. And if you want to make it till June 15th or, or where, June 12th is the last day, I think. And if you want to make it till June 12th, Give the guys a couple of days in between rounds. Right. Well, Don't give them said. 10 days off between the, the conference final and the Stanley Cup final when both teams are hot. This is too much rest for both sides. Exactly. And then that, that's the only maybe the only thing that's the only saving grace here is that St. Louis did close it out. So there'll be... I was thrilled that rust. they won six games. Because I mean, if it had gone seven, that's a bonus for St. Louis. Every, exactly. Every Bruins fan should be glad that it happened because... If it went seven, then they would have got the perfect amount of rest. Right. Those three days would have been just what it would have been. So, you know, you you, get, you close it out early, and next thing you know, uh, you're both sitting around doing nothing for a week, and it kind of feels almost like the NBA. <laughs> so uh, you can't make fun of them. But, yeah, I mean, you, know, those, you look at those rounds where they t- had one day off between the first and second, two between the second and third. You're going to tell me you couldn't give them a, a third day on both those rounds? I mean, it's just we know who controls it. It's all NBC. It's all television and time slots that they have set beforehand. But you know, at some point, you should think of the quality of the product and the the, the health of the players. I mean, kind of wasn't healthy to have to do that the way they did seven game series. What if that seventh game goes double overtime or it even takes even more out of you? And next thing you know, you're playing a game two nights later. But um, and it ended up actually working in the Bruins' benefit there against Columbus, right? Because Right. Columbus was the rusty one, so you get you get uh, screwed for your success in the National Hockey League, I guess. Because maybe next year they won't sweep the conference finals; they'll just you know toy around with the team for a little bit. Are you concerned with the the amount of rest? 
I think now that it's even, I'm a, I'm a little less concerned. Um, I'm less concerned about Tuca now. I thought that was my only my only real concern was Tuca Rask. I mean, to be in that kind of a zone, I can't think of. I mean, we talked about it on Sunday. I can't think of a team, a goalie, a Dominic Hasek or a Brador or a, a Patrick Roy, like when they're on fire in the playoffs, needing to having to go ten days without a game. You know, it's always every other night for those guys, and they just stay in their routine. And here he is. There's no game for ten days. He said he's he's home with his kids. He's taking them to school. He's taking them, he's picking them up from school. He's doing it. It's got to feel like he's not in the Stanley Cup Finals. But tonight he did say he go. He said he said it feels like training camp, except for the fact that in the back of your mind you're saying, okay, we're playing the finals. It's, and it really is like a training camp. And we have you know usually have training camp, development camp, rookie camp. I, I don't know what you'd call this camp, but that's what it feels like. And it, the monotony. I mean, the, the poor coach. I mean, Bruce Cassidy. Most eloquent coach I've ever covered. Definitely the most eloquent coach currently in the NHL. Will answer any question you want, expand on anything. But he's done it six straight days now, and it's like what people are asking him about superstitions. You know, pregame warmups. I, I was ready to ask him about like how hockey skate laces have changed in the last ten years. There's just nothing to ask the poor guy anymore. Not to mention we've got the media, the media folk uh. comparing Bruins players to to uh, oh. superheroes and things like that. Yes. So just a, just a lovely time uh, for playoff hockey. I mean, if it was me, I would have asked them what beetle they were. I would. I mean, well, let's let's you know, let's get really interesting. Who cares about superheroes? I mean, but yes, that was the final straw. That was where I said Monday cannot get here soon enough. But uh, it's still not coming yet. That was the number one thing here. I mean, we have this scrimmage, and you say, okay, now you're ready for the finals. But we now have to wait this whole week, and luckily. Uh, the players will get a day off tomorrow, and then they'll practice Saturday, Sunday. So they'll, they'll have been on two days off one the whole week. So that's probably the best way to handle it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, my my only concern, honestly, was was Tuca. Yeah. Just because you never want a Hawkeye to sit for that long, right? And you know, it's clearly, clearly the hottest goalie in the playoffs right now, and and well, not even right now. That's pretty obvious, but hottest goalie of the entire bracket, and probably playing the best hockey of his life, honestly. And so for him to sit ten days, a little concerning, but uh, you know, Jordan Bennington's going to sit for a, what? What are they sitting six six days? Yeah, six days. So, yeah. What? Um Obviously, other than his innate talent as a goaltender that we knew it was in there all along, we've seen it. He won a Vezina. He, you know, took the team to the finals that one year. They won the President's Trophy that ne- the next year. They lost a seven-game series to Montreal. You can't possibly blame them for that. He was outplayed by Carey Price, but he didn't play poorly. Outside of just the talent of him, what do you think the number one reason Tuka Rask has played this way in in the in this in this playoffs? In this playoffs? Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I have no idea. It's just it's it's a completely random thing, and and I think that he has. I mean, I've I've gone to bat for him for so many times over the ye- past years that he has the ability to to play, and I think that he can play in the playoffs. I've always thought that he could play in the playoffs. He's been inconsistent. I'm I'm shocked that he's been this good this consistently the entire way through. Even as even as a Tuka defender. He is an inconsistent goalie. We've seen it so many times during the regular season and during the playoffs. We saw it last year, even in the uh, the Toronto series alone, he was inconsistent. So the fact that he's played so well every single time out, basically, has been it's been stunning for me. I've decided it's lock. You think so? The I pressure think, behind him. I think there's I think there's two there's two prongs to it. I think one is the rest. 
clearly he's as healthy and as rested as he's ever been going into a playoffs. Not and not just because of Halak, because of the way this team played. I mean, the the team plays shutdown defense. They move the puck out of their own end. You know, when you have those little guys back there, like the Grizzlies and the Krugs, they they know they move the puck out of the zone quicker, so you're not defending. So that that puts less pressure on the goalie. But and we talked about this before the playoffs, and your friend Deej decided to make fun of us for talking about the short rope that Tuca might be on leash. each play, leash rope, whatever. But I think Tuca looked at it and said, you know. I bet I better be really locked in now. Clearly, you don't expect nine forty eight save percentage, and if it was a nine twenty save percentage, he'd still be in there, and we'd still be talking about Grady is because assuming they are at this point. But I think he kind of knew that if I don't look, if I'm not impressing my coach, if I'm not playing, you know, he's, the coach isn't going to blame you if the team is playing poorly in front of you. But if you give up some softies, if you if you're giving up rebounds, not controlling your rebounds properly. The coach might make a move. He might have to make, might be doing it partly to just spark the team, but he might make that move, not necessarily for the long term, but he might decide to make a switch for one game if things aren't going right. And I think Tuka took it, takes offense to that. And I think he, he really takes it to heart that he needs to, needed to make sure he established himself as the number one. Yeah, but I mean, if that was the case, he, he would have had a 940 save percentage during the regular season because Halak was on his heels during the regular season as well. Yeah, I think it's a little, I think like everything in the playoffs, it gets magnified. And, uh, you know, the Bruins can coast by, you know, not coast, but they obviously did a great job when in the regular season. They would lose them. At one point, they're missing four of their top six D, right? And, and they're winning games. But you wouldn't be doing that in the playoffs. Everything is so magnified. You know, you, you looked at Nolachari and Sean Corrali, whatever, over the course of the season. They had their ups and downs. And even Chris Wagner, when he first started the season, we all said, you know, what did they see in this guy, right? But then you get to the playoffs and you start to really see what these guys do and every little thing comes out. I think the goaltender kind of looks at this as this time of year as the fact that this is this is where I had to play my absolute best and and part of it was just knowing that Halak was there. Interesting. I I don't know if I necessarily buy into that. But <laughs> well, I, I would I would also say that you know, I started out the show by saying how Duke is not phased by much, but I think there's a little bit of pride there. Right? You don't you know, I think in since the Claude years going through Bruce last year the game that uh Tuka was pulled into Toronto series he was pulled in the Toronto series of the Tampa. Was one, he was pulled in one game. Hadobin went in. I think it was the Toronto series. They never used more than one goalie in all those years. There's a lot of pride in that. To, to, you don't see that. Even cup winners usually typically change goalies. And uh, the Bruins have been blessed to have to go from you know Thomas to Rask and have this number one that you can rely on like that. I will say I'm I'm fully expecting a uh, somewhat of a Tuca meltdown <laughs> at some point during the Stanley Cup final because we haven't seen it. We haven't seen any sort of freak out at all during this this playoff run. Well, there's no shootouts. No, there's no so shootouts. That, that, that helps them. But there's I, there's going to be something, whether it's a you know a bad call, a goaltender interference call, something like that. There's going to be something that sets him off because he he he's close enough now that he can taste it, and he's already lost one. He's dealt with these years of criticisms. He's he sees the cup in his sights, and if something goes against him. He's going to lose it. He's going to blow a gasket. I can guarantee you his skate blade will not fall off. I can guarantee you the Bruin training staff led by Keith Robinson will make sure those skate blades stay in. They don't want to see a mass murder. Came awfully close to going to prison the last time that happened. That was unbelievable. That was a scene out of Oz. You know, it's like I thought that. Well, actually, they're playing against Ryan O'Reilly, so there's another Oz reference. But what do you think? Do you think Tuca's going to have a meltdown? Is he going to continue to have a 940 save percentage? And... Take the Con Smythe Trophy over to the Brand X studio and shove it up their rear ends. 
is he going to um, just play well? And the Bruins are maybe going to have to go seven with this team. I mean, there's, there's just so many ways that this can go. 617-779-7937. It's another Ken Laird list Sunday skate on a Thursday night. I'm sure Ken will be up and at him in a few hours, and you'll get to hear his voice, and he'll comment on what we say. I'm sure he'll have his takes on what we say. I'm sure... I'm sure Jerry Callahan will have a lot to weigh in on here. I mean, he also is, seems to be infatuated with the Bates Battaglia. But <laughs> did you ever think that we would be talking about Bates Battaglia? I haven't thought about Bates Battaglia at all. I still can't believe we were talking about Bates Battaglia and uh, and his bar. I can't believe that no one went to his bar to like, do a story for The Athletic or something to track this guy down. But... Uh, the Bruins and the Blues are going to get started on Monday, which uh, still seems like a long ways off. But uh, they'll have Media Day Sunday. You're going to be at Media Day, Pete? Uh, I TBD. Okay. TBD. It's not quite as fun as Super Bowl Media Day, NHL Media Day. They don't let the uh, women in bikinis in asking questions in Spanish and banging a drum and whatever else you see there. I did see that the uh, they're throwing a, a party slash concert. For uh, for what is it, game one, an outdoor viewing party in Boston? Right, they're having a, a a special musical guest, so I can only imagine who the NHL booked for that because they're fantastic at booking uh, musical guests. Hopefully, somebody the media can get an interview with uh, Uncle Cracker at <laughs> at Media Day. Phenomenal live act, by the way. I've seen Uncle Cracker, surprisingly <laughs> good. Isn't Uncle Cracker the president? Ooh, nailed it. Oh wait. Anyway, it's uh, Sunday Skate, Thursday edition, 617-779-7937. Let us know what you think of Tuka Rask or what you think of Uncle Cracker. You're listening to Sunday Skate. At night. With Pete Blackburn is back from CBS Sports. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Sunday Skate on Sports Radio WEEI. I'll tell you where Zdeno Chara will be crucial in this series. Vladimir Tarasenko. He's going to spend most of his time... In fact, 98% of his time on the ice will be against that top line for the St. Louis Blues. This is Sunday Skate at Night on a Thursday. Are you confused yet? I am. I never know what day of the week it is in the playoffs. It's just either game day or an off day. But I do know one thing's for sure is that you're tuned into one hockey show that's going to get this right. What the matchups will be when the Bruins face the Blues. Dale Arnold is wrong. I said this with Ken Laird earlier this week, and I want to just make sure I'm on record now again. The matchup for the Bruins will be Patrice Bergeron's forward line and the Tory Krug Brandon Carlo pair against the line that has Vladimir Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz, and Braden Shen. Jadeno Charo will be matched up against Ryan O'Reilly's line, that bulky second line that Bruce Cassidy likes to get Char out there against. And by the way, also Tarasenko's a left wing, so he would be going head to head against the right D more often and not, and that would be Charlie McAvoy, even if it was Char. But nonetheless, that's why you're listening to the best two hours of hockey talk on EEI right here. Me and Pete Blackburn from CBS. He got into the intro there. Great to hear that. So we got Ken Laird reading your name. So that's how we get Ken involved in the show these days. Wonderful. I love it. Tarasenko's uh, been playing on the right side, I believe. Oh, has he been? Yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong on that part, but on that part. But nonetheless, I will say nothing really nothing gets me going like some good matchup talk <laughs> 5 days before uh, the Stanley Oh man, Cup well, what, what would you rather do? Matchup talk or superstition talk? 
Uh, yeah, but I, no, I agree with you though. I, I think it's most likely you want your your top shutdown guy, which at this point it's Brandon Carlo. Yeah, going up against your their top forward, and it's that's undoubtedly uh, Tarasenko, and he's he's on a heater. I'll tell you, he's it took him a while to get going, but that that Western Conference final, he looked real good. I think he's the type of guy you hit him a few times, he might shrink again. He doesn't seem like the kind of kind of guy that's going to fight through a lot. I don't know. He's and, he's uh he's historically been a, a really good playoff uh, performer for them. So uh, it was surprising to see him take as long as he as he took to uh, to really get it going this year. But it, I mean, he had a point in every single game in the uh, the Western Conference Final. Scored three times. So uh, heating up at the wrong time. If you're a Bruins fan, I think hasn't Mark Edward Vlasic though had his number in that in that, that series two years ago and maybe kind of slowed him down now before the series. I mean. And I see Brandon Carlo as kind of being that type of D at this point. I mean, young and still growing into the role, but we saw what he did to Terry Panarin in the, in the Columbus series. Um, five on five, Panarin basically disappeared. If the, if the puck didn't hit the netting, he wouldn't have had a goal those last few games. And uh, right, I mean, I mean, Bergeron's done an unbelievable yeah. job against top talent uh, through the first three rounds. You, uh, you you look at the the guys that he's played most against. He had sixty five minutes against John Tavares, scored one goal uh, at five on five. He had thirty five minutes against Panarin in one goal at five on five, and then he had thirty minutes against Teravainen and didn't score once. So Pergeron's right. uh, done an unbelievable job through the first three rounds, and if he's it's presumably going to get Tarasenko, then that's probably bad news for Tarasenko. Yeah, and I think also what, what comes with that Berger online is obviously the offensive pressure. And if right. they're smart enough to, to not get too fancy and to get the pucks deep and, and you know, the, the, to use the great hockey cliche, but nonetheless, get the get the puck behind those big defensemen. That's what they want to do. They have to turn those guys and use their quickness. And then you have Tarasenko, Shannon, Schwartz at the wrong end of the ice. And that's going to be the key, especially... When you can control the matchups at home, we know Bruce isn't going to be too, you know, fastidious about these things. I think, other than the Carlo part, I think you might even see, you know, more Corrali line against them than than normal, and that's just the way you know Bruce likes to do. It. He doesn't want. We saw in the Toronto series early on, uh, he got caught up in those matchups. Bruce did, and and it cost him, and he admitted that. And I think he's gone away from that, and it's also helped that Corrali came back and that they had a, a fuller roster, but. Um, clearly, Brandon Carlo will get that assignment. I mean, that's that's his his guy. If there's a possibility for for one guy on the back end to to get burned or get exposed or, or look bad in this series against St. Louis, who is it? Well, I mean, it's, it's the easy answer would be Connor Clifton, right? I mean, you saw him even with leads in the in the Carolina series that where they're just trying to play safe. He's doing his end to end rushes, trying to trying to pretend he's Bobby R out there, and he, he got Doc Emmerich excited, but I'm not sure that uh, Bruce Cassidy was too thrilled with that. Um, you know, it, obviously, I mean, I don't want to say anything too bad about Matt Grizzly. He's had an awesome playoffs, but nonetheless, you know, when he's got Connor Clifton to his right and in the regular season, at least, we saw times where he had a hard time with these bigger teams. Maybe the Blues do a better job of exposing him, but like I've said a million times now, he he's proven me wrong. He He's given me no re- reason to doubt him, but just based on track record from the regular season and, and, his, and his size disadvantage, that that could come into play. I'm looking at Tory Krug, and and I, yeah. I, I'm not a guy who is particularly critical of Tory Krug. I think he brings you know more positives to this team sure. than negatives, but... I've been surprised at how little uh, he's looked bad on the defensive end throughout right. these playoffs. He's been very, very solid from beginning to end to this point in time. And 
I've I've sort of just been waiting for it for for the sequence where you know he gets exposed defensively and it hasn't happened. And with this Blues team, they have very very strong guys in front of the net, and they have they bring really strong net front presence. So I'm I'm looking at the potential of Tory Krug looking not great in the defensive end, but again, I think that Tory Krug is is a good defenseman on the Bruins back end, and uh, and I'm not saying that I. Don't like Tory Krug. Well, why don't you call and let us know what you think? Uh, Sunday skate, Thursday night edition, 617-779-7937. You can pick a Bruins defenseman that's going to screw up the series, <laughs> or you can tell us we're crazy. Whatever you want to tell us, you can talk about Tuca. It seems to be a popular task. I mean, uh, we're here tonight. We're trying to pluck the vulture, trying to pluck some listeners from the vulture, you know, and I don't know what that would make us if someone's plucking a vulture, but nonetheless... This is the best two hours of hockey talk you're going to hear today, so might as well tune in and might as well call us and join us, 617-779-7937. I think the Tory Krug thing, I, I see where you're coming from on that. I just, he's changed. He He's he's definitely thinking more defense than offense now, five on five. I think he's not. When did that start? Because we saw I, him get exposed during points in the regular season. Right. I think, in the, I think in these playoffs, I think playing with Brandon Carlo and getting these assignments, and seeing where he fits in on this team, that they can generate offense, he, he's great with the puck on his stick, right? But he's really given into this idea that we give the pucks to the forwards as quickly as we can and get them out running. And the fact that the Bruins have four lines of forwards that you can do that, they didn't even have that in the regular season, right? Johansson was out, Coyle was finding his way. You didn't necessarily trust all those uh, all those forwards to do that. But now it's four lines, and you're out there with Bergeron and most of the time, right? Okay. So you're going to give it to Bergeron's line, undoubtedly. But he doesn't care now which line it is because he knows they're going to generate some offense and get the rush going. And I think he's finally seen that, you know, maybe next year again I'll, I'll go back to being more offensive-minded and, and putting up points and go on my salary you know, salary drive next year when I'm going to be a UFA in 2020. But right now we need to win the Cup, and I'm going to play this way where I still have my offensive game, but... I need to focus on the defense more. And, and Bruce Cassidy even said, you know, he's not leaving the zone until he knows the Bruins are in possession these days. And it's huge. And maybe that's another reason why Tory Krug is, is underappreciated, is under underrated, and is an unsung hero of these playoffs. And I think also a guy that you have to really consider keeping beyond 2020, regardless of the cap ramifications. But I don't know if we really want to go down that road at this point, but clearly um, he's done a great job. Yeah, and no, I, I again, like I said, he's been very yeah. good through the playoffs. I've been impressed with him. I just think if if there's a an opportunity for the blue the the Blues to pin the Bruins in their own end, and Tori Krug is on the ice, I think it, in front of the net that might be a bad uh, a, might be a bad combination. Right? For the Bruins. Yeah, I mean there there is you know a tendency maybe to revert here. There's a tendency to know that it's the Stanley Cup final, and I want to put on a show. And uh, oh, that and actually the Tory Krug talk actually does remind me that the one one of the highlights of the scrimmage was that the Bruins went on a power play. Their first power play unit was out there, and they gave up a shorthanded scoring chance to Danton Heinen, a guy who's not even a penalty killer. So you know, some things never change. Although we haven't seen that since the Columbus series, but that might also be because Carolina rolled over. But another item to watch, I guess, in this series to see if the Blues can kind of exploit the Bruins' power play and uh, and get those chances like Columbus was. But uh, if he, this is the Sunday Skate Thursday edition with uh, Pete Blackburn of CBS and Matt Kalman of EEI.com. If you don't recognize us from Sunday mornings, I'm sure you not only get up and listen to us early on Sundays, but you just keep listening and listening for our voices again because you can't 
you can you know especially when you got one hour. We had the one hour show this week. It was like we were run, racing through it. I bet Rich Keefe couldn't understand a word we said. We talked so fast in that one. He doesn't like when I talk fast. I don't know. He wouldn't last in New York. That's for sure. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to ask you: Is there an area of uh, you know? I broke down it down the series and the matchups for yep. CBSSports.com today. Okay, um, and offensively, defensively, special teams, uh, goaltending. Is there an area that you think that the Blues have an edge? Yeah, I, I, thinking about that a little bit, I think their defense against the Bruins, you know, offense off the rush, especially. Could be trouble because they're so big and strong and and have those long reaches. It's it's like playing against three Trowers or at least three Carlos, you know, with Pareko and and Pietrangelo and and even Edmondson and, and uh, Bertuzzo. These guys, they have some long reaches, and I think that's going to be a, a huge test for the Bergeron line. You know, we we saw them have some troubles in the Columbus series, obviously with Jones and Wierenski. Those aren't the same type of players as these guys, but you watch the way Pareko shuts plays down at the blue line. Pareko's been unbelievable. And you, that's what I going back to what I said earlier about don't be fancy. No drop passes, no back passes. If the, if the play isn't there right away, get the puck behind this guy. Make him chase it. Put the pressure on him, you know, and, and forecheck him. And that's going to be huge for regardless of your Patrice Bergeron or your Sean Corrali. You know, lines one through four are going to have to do that. And that's, that's the one thing we haven't seen the Bruins face a uh, defense core with this type of size. Right. I, I've been very, very impressed by uh, by St. Louis's defense and their ability to clear out uh, the front of the net. But I, I gave I gave that a push because <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> 23 minutes a night for, for yeah. 35-year-old Jay Bomeister. Right. I think the Bruins are going to have a, a whole lot of fun with that I, in the I, series. I mean, I'm not a, I've am not. i never been a Jay Bomeister fan. I, he, to me, is one of the most overrated players of the last 20 years. Preaching to the choir. Because he plays for Team Canada, and I, he must have been, I mean, this is before I would pay attention to it, but he must have been a star on the World Junior Team, uh, has a very Canadian-sounding name, but he goes to Florida, plays on some terrible Panthers teams, becomes this star, but they decided, they decided he's a number one defenseman. As soon as he got traded to a real team, he disappeared. He never had, like, this career. Now, he's put up a lot of, he's been in a lot of games, he's made a lot of money, but I've never, ever, in a million years, even seen him as a top two defenseman. All the years that the Bruins, that people would say, oh, the Bruins should go get Bo Meester, because he's a puck-moving defenseman, and I'd say, have you ever watched him play? And to me now, he's actually a better player right now, because I don't think he's trying to do any of that stuff. He's playing with Pareko, and they're kind of playing a, a shutdown role. And he's doing a decent job of it, I think. I mean, he, he again, also, he does show some of that puck-moving skills as a, in that role because he, he moves the puck out rather than making sure they're hemmed in. But I think he's finally found his role, at least at, at 35, you know? Yeah, it, it, he hasn't looked that bad. But the fact that, that he's playing 23 minutes a night and this team is as successful as they are shows how good the rest of the team is. Yeah, exactly. So... So let us know what you think. Uh, where do the Blues have an advantage over the Bruins, or do they not have any? Maybe you think the Bruins are going to win in four or three, or maybe you think this series will never start. 617-779-7937. Uh, it's Sunday Skate, Thursday edition. You're listening to Sunday Skate. At night. With Pete Blackburn is back from CBS Sports. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Sunday Skate on Sports Radio WEEI. The level of play of one Zdeno Chara. Obviously, he's not winning any more Norris trophies, but how good do you think he still is? Yeah, at times he looks like one of those tall, 
orange cones you see on the mass pike that I ran over once four years ago and it punctured my oil thing in my car and I didn't have it for a month and a half. Uh, so he does, he does, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough thing at 2 a.m. No. Yeah, so suddenly the left lane is closed with those, again, they're like five feet tall, those tall skinny cones. Oh, yeah. And so he does, he does look like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I thought game three, he looked really good. I don't know if he needs to play against the Sharks necessarily. I don't think that would change the odds if they announce a season ending injury, which I don't think he has. But, uh, but I still like him as a, as a guy who makes the team better. So there you have it. That was uh, John Bucicross, ESPN. I guess with uh, our friends, Dallin Keefe, the second best hockey talk show on the station after uh, vivid, our show. Vivid after, cone imagery. After any time you and I are on the air, this is Sunday Skate at Night, Thursday edition. Matt Kalman, WEI.com, Pete Blackburn, CBS. And uh, I don't know if that, first of all, a ridiculous statement about Chara and being an orange cone, but then he kind of contradicts himself at the end there and says <laughs> he makes the team better. Well, so which is it? No, I, I sort of get where he's coming from. Chara has looked his age at various yeah, points. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's been some worse than I can remember seeing him, but it's been in very small spurts. You know, he's he's not been bad overall. He has just looked bad at various points. I mean, we haven't seen any, as we've talked about, we haven't seen any opposing offensive star go off in three rounds. Right. Bergeron gets a lot of credit. Carl gets a lot of credit. Char and McAvoy get a lot of credit. Now, is McAvoy maybe making up for Char in some instances the way Char used to always make up for McAvoy and Carlo and... All the way back to Matt Lashoff, if you want to go back that far. I mean, every young defenseman has played with Chara. Zach Trotman, you name it. Uh, maybe the only one that, that failed at playing with Chara was Paul Mara, but he wasn't that young at the time. He was just a disaster. And uh, I just to say that they could scratch him for the rest of the playoffs and they'd be all right is ludicrous. Yeah, no. Unless you're not. telling me this is like next season and they've Erho Vakanainen has grown into this great left D and Jeremy Law's on, is shutting people down the way Carlo is now, and they're pushing Chara out, and why did they sign him again? That's a, a, an Unless argument Chara for next year. Unless Chara is a corpse year. and cannot skate, yeah. he's better off, this team is better off with him in the lineup right. than, than, with, than when he's not. Right, and so. he's clearly healthier now. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it wasn't a healthy scratch for Game 4, but... He could have played. He could have played, and it was definitely something he would have played through... Right. In past years, Don Sweeney says he wouldn't have played if it was a Game 5 situation. I don't know about that. I think he would have come back the next game regardless of, of what, what happened. What about if the Hurricanes had a pulse? Would he have played? Because <laughs> Well, that's just it, too. You can smell that, right? And if you're going to buy... I mean, right. Of course, they probably didn't realize they were going to have so much time off because I know for a fact that he's one of these guys that hates to have time off, right? It just get, throws off your timing, throws off your hands, so... Did he need the extra two days in addition to the 10 days everyone else is getting? Probably not. I do love the cockiness of being able to sit your captain. And, oh. and he's not hes not necessarily one of your top defensemen anymore. I think that he's probably your third best defenseman, third when, or fourth. When you phrase it that way, you know, I, I kind of wrote that at the time that the, the Hurricanes should have been licking their chops. 
But maybe that demoralized them more to say, geez, they're not even addressing their captain right. against us? We're, how bad do we look right now? There, there is a, a stench of, of utter cockiness to, to sit him uh, and not force him to play in a series that had been and that one side. Absolutely, and that is such a credit to uh, Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, the two pillars of this defense for the next decade. You know, RFAs this summer, give them what they want, lock them up. These are two guys... You're not going to want to get rid of. I think we talked about this on on Sunday that this this defense core without Chara is going to be different looking because it's going to be a more conventional defense core where different guys do different things, but it's still going to be really good. Right? They are kind of loaded with guys coming up here, and it's going to be great. And you know, talking more about the defense core, let's go to uh, Mike in Fall River. He wants to talk about Tory Krug and the young guys. Mike, how's it going? Going pretty well, guys. Nice job on the hockey talk. Appreciate it. Yeah, the best hockey talk there is. Right on. Yeah, but I, I was in and out of the work truck, and I noticed you were talking from Tory Krug. And uh, I, when I got on the queue, I said, you know what? They're not giving Tory Krug an up run. That kid played fantastic, and his maturity um, at the point and handling, uh, doing the right thing, making good decisions is, you know, that's huge. And that's helped the Bruins get along here. And it's also allowed uh, some of the other guys not to have to play in addition to, like, char out on the power play. He doesn't have to play out there anymore because Krug is responsible and he's doing the right thing. And, and that's a huge help for the team. And the other guy I really uh, have been impressed with is Grizzly. Grizzly sure. played fantastic. He's moved the puck. He's done great things, made good decisions. Those guys are doing a great, great job. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, top to bottom, I don't have a problem with, any any of the guys one through six, you know, you've mentioned Connor Clifton and some of the uh, the iffy decisions that he's made, but he's a, he's a six, you know, seven defenseman. He's probably going to make those in in, uh, in a high pressure moment, and you know, especially when he's a young guy who's out there in, in his first season. So uh, I don't have a, a big gripe with anybody on the defense at this point no. in time. Exactly. I don't know how you can. Hey, Clifton's played great, just you know, for what he's. You know, or what he is able to bring to the table. Yeah, he's doing a great job. They're all doing a great job, and they're playing with such heart. They're doing Boston proud. You got to give it up for the whole team, and the way Cassidy gets them all playing, pulling on the oars, and everyone's doing their job. Those to the grindstone. How can you not love the Boston Bruins? And we're going to bring the cup home. All right. This is Mike from Fall River on his way to New Bay. Great, excellent. Well, thanks and a lot for the call. The- Go ahead. B's and five. All right, right. B's and five. We got the pick there. We got the first call in for a pick tonight. You can join us, too, and give us your pick for the series. Talk about Tori Krug or Tuca or whatever you want to talk about. Talk about Del Arnold and tell tell me how much better we are than his show. 